listening to the Go and Tell Gals podcast, and I'm your host, Jess Conlon. In most of our episodes, we'll have a guest, a woman who is running on mission right where she's at. We pray this podcast leaves you encouraged and spurred on to go and tell the good news. Hey friends, I am so excited about today's episode with my friend Scarlett. She is hilarious, she is honest, and she wrote the book Afraid of All the Things, which, you know, I wildly relate to. You are going to enjoy this conversation. I pray it encourages you and inspires you to continually keep showing up and relying on God's strength, God's power, and His capacity. Friends, we have an incredible, incredible gift today in that I have Scarlett Hill to Bidal in the studio today. And by studio, I mean my desk because it's the coolest room in this building. Hey, <laughs> thanks for joining us. I'm thrilled. Seriously, I love this podcast. I love you. I love your intro music. It's good. You it know, is that is good. Chris, who, who edits our podcast. Hey, Chris. You guys know him. That's him singing. Really? Yes. Okay. Chris is also Rach Kincaid's husband, if you happen to follow her on the internet. Okay. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Well, I was playing the intro music of this podcast to my family in the car. It's a My dream. daughters know it already, but I, I was like, it. Brandon, listen to this. I love it. It's great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're here. This is my second time doing an in-person interview here, and I like them so much more. I feel like we can like take it too far in the best ways. Yes. So, I want to dive right in. I've given you no questions to prep you. I'm so sorry. No, I love it. I'm excited. Great. <laughs> Glad that's not terrifying. But what I did tell Scarlett that I haven't gotten to tell you guys is that I finished her book this morning, her first book, Afraid of All the Things. And I just finished it this morning, and I sat and did the weeping for a moment <laughs> because it is so powerful but if you haven't read it you absolutely should go read it we're going to talk a ton about it right now but thank you here's here's like a first question this used to be a fun end of the podcast question that I would ask everyone but I'm really curious to start our discussion what is your Enneagram number do you care about the Enneagram I love the Enneagram okay thank goodness I'm not a six even though you think I am no I actually <laughs> I don't I but I'm I think it might help guide our discussion I'm Based on questions I have. Three. I'm a three wing four. Okay. So I call myself the emo achiever. <laughs> I'm very emotional. I love it. But yes. Now I love a three. I love an eight. You're an eight. Right? I, yeah. Eights. See, a lot of people think threes and eights don't get along. Oh, I love eights. I love a three. I mean, I want to be a three. I, <laughs> I thought for a long time I was, but I'm not. <laughs> but I'm like, please let's achieve. Let's oh, get yeah. ahead. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, okay. So. If you don't know, the three is the achiever. The four is the individualist. Yeah. 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 The eight is the controller, which, the, you know, sounds so <laughs> bad. <laughs> but the, world. the reason why Scarlett, <laughs> if you don't know the Enneagram said, I'm not a six, is because six are, sixes are the loyalists, but they're, they typically struggle a lot with fear. Yes. So why I brought that up is because... What is something that is really interesting about, I don't know if it's interesting at all about me, but it's something that is true about me is that I'm a very fearful person. Mm -hmm. But I think because of my eightness, mm -hmm. I am able, able to mask it really well. Mm -hmm. So people, that is not, I don't think that's one of the top few words that people would use to describe me. If they don't know me, that's right. definitely one of the top three 
words that <laughs> maybe my family might use to yeah. describe me. But I also, after having read your book, there's a million things I want to say. But one thing I want to say is this, to start off our discussion. I think that there's a move in Christianity, which I love, about being really careful about our words and agreeing with scripture about how we describe ourselves. But something that I appreciate that your book gave me permission to do is identify myself as a person who really struggles with fear. Hmm. Because... In the past, I've, t- I've kind of tried to confess to people and say, like, I'm actually scared all the time. Yeah. And people have said, like, no, you're not. <laughs> right. No, not in Jesus' There's name, no you're not. Love. Yeah. Um, and to be totally honest, what I felt like and what, what I felt so encouraged after reading your book was my walk with the Lord has given me some space to love who he's made me to be and to love who he's allowed me to be. Mm-hmm. And if I believe he's good, and if I believe he's in control, I have to believe he's in control of my personality. Right. And that he has allowed me to be this way. He's allowed me to have these struggles mm-hmm. for the glory of his kingdom and for the good of others to mm-hmm. some degree. So do I have to agree with my fear all the time? Do I have to obey my fear all the time? Do I have to listen to my fear all the time? No. But do I have a choice whether or not to feel it? I don't. Right. I, ca- I cannot physically make myself not feel scared. Right. So anyhow, all that being said, when I finished your book this morning, I thought, I love who he made me to be. Hmm. I love who he's let me be. And I love, I think what I felt most was I love who he's let you be Hmm. in being a person who identifies with fear. And I don't know. So I maybe just speak on that for a second. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't think I said this in the book, but I've said it recently to people. Um, yeah, there's so many struggles I can look back on that I've had where I felt like I need to get past this struggle. There's gotta be like, I write about a little bit about eating disorders Mm -hmm. in this one, a lot about them in the teenage other one. But, um, that was one that I was like, surely I've got to, I can be free from this. And I, and God did free me of that. And that's awesome. Fear, though, I feel like, like I view it as a thorn in the flesh kind of thing. Yeah. And I tell people I'm grateful for it. And like you're saying, it sounds weird to say that, but I really believe I would so easily take my eyes off Jesus and my weakness and my need for him. Yeah. If that wasn't something I had to fight. Yeah. Because when I, I just tend to, you know, I'm, I, I'm independent. I like self-sufficient. Those are not good. Those things don't really mesh well with being dependent on Mm, on God, you know? Right. And so it is a thing that reminds me that I'm weak. Yeah. And yeah, I love what you just said. Yeah. I'm, it's easier for me to embrace it now than it was years ago when I was, felt like I was a slave to it all the time. And I was, like you said, like listening to the fear and either like not listening to God or sinning, you know, because I was afraid. Yeah, but it's different to fight something. I think it keeps you in it, you know, with Jesus in the relationship. Like, yes. I am with you. I'm looking. I need you, you know? Yeah. So in that sense, I'm thankful for it. It's interesting. So I would say my personal journey with fear, a lot of it, in, in a lot of ways, I feel like I have not heard it. You know, fear, fear like grief, I believe, is really loud if you don't listen to it. Yeah. It'll be really loud in the rest <laughs> of your life. If you don't just actually listen to like, what am I scared of? Yeah. So in some ways, I think only in the last, honestly, year mm-hmm. have I started to really listen to fear. Mm-hmm. And, and I think all before that, I really struggled with fear. I just, I just was trying to ignore it and it was impacting the rest of my life. Right. 
maybe I maybe also because I wasn't like identifying it as fear, I was just thinking I was being wise. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> a good planner. <laughs> yeah. So one of my examples is um summer. I'm glad we're having this conversation in summer. I, I don't think I read anything about this in your book, but correct me if I'm wrong. But I wonder if you feel this way. I noticed that for whatever reason, I think there are a few summer is a really fearful time for me yeah so yes and i've heard you insta story about this yeah and i'm like shaking my head like every reason you just said i'm so with you yeah it's I love quiet winter. yeah <laughs> yeah winter seems winter. so much I, less scary. i joke that i have opposite what is it seasonal affective disorder people say that yes. they're like sad when it's cold i'm the yes. opposite i'm so happy when it's cold same yeah because we're all just inside and safe yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah and clothed you mentioned that in your insta story too yes. So fear, I think, gets loud in the summer for me because I'm a mom mm-hmm. of four, and yeah. the internet has now exposed us mm-hmm. to everyone's pain and real people that we know's pain mm-hmm. that I feel like I don't just like losing kids or kids getting hurt. And so about two years ago, I started sitting down and making my kids read drowning facts out loud. Mm-hmm. Drowning facts? Yeah. Okay. Like statistics on drowning. Gotcha. Okay. I would have them read that, read that aloud before they got in the pool oh, every wow. time. So I didn't consider that fear. <laughs> That's intense. <laughs> yes. I just thought this is the Practical. safe thing to do. Yes. Um, it was only in the last year that I realized like, oh, that's actually not only like obeying fear, but like speaking it into the people mm. around me. That's um, hard, now man. we still have honest conversations about right. how to swim safely. But <laughs> before that, that's it for me. An example of two years ago was I super fearful yes mm-hmm. was I identifying it as fear no I was just thinking like I'm just being responsible I don't right. know about y'all yeah. like I'm just being smart we're yeah. just reading drowning statistics before get we go it. to the pool every time mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm working on that yeah my but, dad was a cop so yeah I got a lot yeah I mean I'm a very cautious person so I totally get it yeah yeah <laughs> your book is so good it's so good I want to I want to just start with this in the very first chapter you say the gospel didn't make me feel loved. It made me feel like a failure. And specifically, you were talking about the passage from Joshua, be strong and courageous, yeah. um, which I could not agree more with. I mean, mm-hmm. I when you hear that or when you hear a, a myriad of verses, mm-hmm. um, for me, one that always got me was Psalm 126, like, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? The, only the ones with clean hands and pure hearts. And before someone unpacked the gospel for me you know, at like 26, like truly sat down and explained that passage to me. Right. I was like, I am out. Right. Like I'm in so much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't have clean ants or pure right. heart. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to tell you about that quote is I thought back to it after finishing the book, because what I've learned is that people telling me not to be fearful doesn't make me feel less fearful. It makes me feel way worse. Yeah. Like a failure. <laughs> yes. But people being honest with me about their fear and and the truth that helps them fight it Mm -hmm. makes me feel courageous yes and that's what your book does oh thank you it's so good i hope so so this is just a basic question about the book because on that note what does make me feel terrified is to talk about my fear Mm. so how was it like emotionally for you for your Mm. soul for your heart for your mind man Yeah, well, it didn't feel super vulnerable to write it. It felt good to write it. And I think, yeah, I put this in the in the beginning of the book, but I've been writing about my fears since I was nine. Like I wrote a book with back cover copy, third person, Will Scarlet ever overcome her fears. Um, but putting it out there, you know, you have books. The phase where it's like 
you can't change it anymore, but no one's really read it yet, but some people are starting to read it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a scary phase of book publishing. But I remember that was the time when people would be like, oh man, you really shared <laughs> your fears. Like, thank you for being vulnerable. And I remember thinking, oh no, like, what did I say? What did I say? <laughs> what did I, was I too vulnerable? Writing it wasn't scary. Putting it out into the world felt scary. I'm way more scared about this teen book coming out because it's like, real stories from my life. This was more like what's been in my head for my whole life, which feels a little, I don't know. I feel less fearful about it now that it's been out for a little while, but it was scary. Did it feel like cathartic to write? Did it feel? Yeah, I mean, totally. So I've always loved writing, Mm -hmm. just writing. So in my 20s, I was writing really poorly executed chick lit. Love it. So bad. Where can I get it? Well, you could contact any literary agent in the country who I sent it to. (laughs) And they might have it in their junk folder. Really, though. So glad they didn't get published. I just want to say, is good chiclet good? I mean, I think what you want is, like, kind of badly written. You want it, like, pretty mediocre and, like, with a lot of plot holes. (laughs) Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, So every time I would make these attempts, several times I did this in my 20s, the, the literary agents would be like, we really like the family, which was like not fiction, <laughs> but the storyline, you know, no. So <laughs> those didn't work out. Anyway, to answer your question, I've always loved writing. I didn't really have anything to say in my <laughs> 20s. And I was just living with this horrible, crippling, worst ever anxiety. And so as, like you just said, at, when someone unpacked the gospel for me and I realized the verse you mentioned, the verse I mentioned in Joshua, the... You know, people will cast out demons in my name, and I'll say, depart, depart from me, I never knew you. That's terrifying. Like, that's that's terrifying, one, right? <laughs> so, like, I'd lay awake at night being like, oh, did God. I, like, is my life all wrong? Am I going to hell? I'm trying so hard to do everything right. Um, but then someone unpacked the gospel yeah. for me. That's what the whole book is about, yeah. is this woman, Elizabeth, who I talk yes. about, like, every day. Because I'd heard it, but I didn't understand that I could rest in it. I didn't understand I could fight the fears with it, and I could not just make decisions based on protecting myself and my people, but I could actually confess my struggles and my sin and my failures um, and live in the light and find mercy, you know? By the time I started to grasp that, it was like I was just so excited to share that with people. Like, just sitting in this room with Elizabeth and hearing, I'll just say it, I've said it everywhere, but it's what I love telling people. This practical, she was just giving parenting advice. Oh, I, ha- I have it ready to okay. quote. Well, then let's just you, hold off. But anyway, <laughs> hearing that, that you will yes. um, I just remember it was like an earthquake yeah. in my heart. And I was like, oh, like I don't have to live like this. Yeah. And I still fight fear all the time. I'm not like, we, I'm better, I'm perfect now. Right. But I don't live in it anymore. It's different now. You know, mm. I, I fight and I experience God the way I never did before. Like, he is my friend. Mm-hmm. Before it was like, how can I make him love me? And now it's like, he already does. Yeah. I can be his friend. So yeah, writing it was just kind of, I was so excited to write it because, yeah, I'd always wanted to write. And all the pieces just kind of fell into place with the whole book thing and I did some freelance work for HarperCollins, your publisher, right? Yeah. Did some freelance work. One of the books I helped them with did well. My current publisher saw it, and we had a meeting, and she's like, so do you have any book ideas? And I'm like, well, I just so happen, those of you who are listening, I'm like pulling a fake book proposal out of my fake bag. <laughs> I'm like, well, yes, my whole life I've been wanting to write this book. Wow. So I was just kind of really excited to share with wow. other people what changed my life, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. Okay, I want to actually go right next to Elizabeth. Okay. So I think this is in chapter two, Mm -hmm. and you, I'll I'll just read directly. You say, you're talking about being at a pastor's wife retreat. Mm -hmm. Pastor's wife retreat. (laughs) Um, I'm a pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I've ever been to a pastor's wife retreat that was refreshing or life giving (laughs) about being told. Okay, let's be honest. I really don't think I've been to one. But (laughs) it was a big church. There were a lot of pastor's wives. Yeah, it can be a very. That can, I mean, you know, we all know, if you don't, I think most of you do, mm-hmm. anytime women are gathered, there's just always the capacity for comparison and yes, all the things. But maybe never more than when you get a bunch of women in a room who feel so innately connected to a body of people. I don't mm-hmm. Being a pastor's wife is just so interesting because... You, there's so many expectations on you, so many uns, unspoken expectations on you. The ones you put on yourself. The ones you put on yourself, <laughs> yeah. the one that history just puts on you, yes. even if your people don't put them right. on you. And on top of that, to some degree, I mean, now we see so many like couples co-leading together and things like that, but to some degree, a lot of pastors' wives actually don't have a lot of control or say over what's happening, right. and yet a lot of times they're the ones being like, held accountable for things. Yeah. So, so there's so many things. Yeah. So I can just imagine, I'm, I should say, I've never been to a pastor's wife retreat. So <laughs> there's that. Maybe there are some incredibly life-giving ones. Holler at me if you know of one. <laughs> we'll go. Um, but you're, you're saying this. We were sitting in a big group in a borrowed beach house discussing parenting. The older pastor's wives were schooling us young ones on discipline strategies and behavior shaping methods. <laughs> One after another, these older, wiser women rattled off the names of books I should have already had memorized and disciplinary tactics I was supposed to have already started implementing at least at the moment of conception, if not sooner. (laughs) Then you go on to talk about Elizabeth and tell us in your own words, yeah, what happened, what she said. Yeah, so great advice from all these women. I love them. It was amazing. But I was kind of looking at their good advice the way I looked at Joshua 1-9. Like, oh boy, these are more things I need to not fail at, you know. And Elizabeth was a newer pastor's wife in the big church, and so I didn't know her, and she just kind of leaned back. And also, I think I mentioned this in the book, I had brought my newborn baby because I was too afraid to leave her with her awesome dad. (laughs) The part that got me is when you said that you were like, shushing her yeah, in the bathroom in the her. middle of the night because oh, you yeah. didn't want to wake that's the right. other women up. Which I, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did at 2 a.m. I'm in the bathroom, oh. you know, just bouncing her. And that's what I was doing during this little circle time of advice. I was, yeah. she was, she had just learned to go ba, 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 ba. Um, her first sound, you know, and I'm which like, should have been delightful, right? Except for except you're for like, I the sh- sh- obey, 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 obey. Come on, I'm trying to learn how to make you obey. We're already behind. Yes. <laughs> so, bouncing her, this woman Elizabeth says she just kind of explained her home practically, which was so helpful. And I try to do that because we use all these Christian words. If you grow up in the church, or even if you just have been in it for a year, it's yes. like. We say these things that are churchy words, and yes. what do they really mean, you know? Yes. So I had heard the gospel. I had memorized the gospel. I'd gone to Christian school, Christian college, graduated. <laughs> like, yeah. I knew it. But she was just like, this is what my home is. And she just said, you know, I don't try to raise the perfect, perfect kids. I don't aspire to be the perfect mom. 
even if I tried my best, you know, she's saying my righteousness is filthy rags, but she's saying it in her own way. She's like, yeah. it's, it's not going to happen. So my goal as a mom is to show my family my weakness and point them to Jesus. So practically that means if I argue with my husband, I'm not going to close my kids out of it, act like we're perfect in front of them, and then, you know, have the fight behind closed doors, which some things you have to have behind closed doors, but she said, we'll argue and then we'll apologize to each other, to them, to the Lord. Like let us, we'll show them repentance practically out loud. And that was huge for me. Like I've always been quick to apologize, but like to actually teach your kids conflict resolution, like mommy was mean to you. I'm really sorry. Yeah. This is what I do when I sin. And this is why we can have hope and rest because we're all going to do this. And Jesus covered this when he died on the cross and just saying it out loud, like practically saying Jesus died for our sins, giving us friendship and access to God when he rose from the dead, proving he's God, you know, and just like making that a conversation in your home. She probably talked for less time than I just talked and it just, you know, it just changed everything. And I was like, and it wasn't immediate that my whole life changed, but it was like, I remember going home and telling my husband, we were both first children, mm. both threes, achiever, yeah. both exhausted with life at that point because we were just striving all the time. And I shared that with him. It didn't really hit his heart that day. We ended up moving to Nashville, got plugged into a church that just kind of made the gospel the central thing mm-hmm. of everything, the songs, the teaching, the gospel, you know, and there was just um, the con- congregation there was just encouraged to confess and live in the light and not put on some appearance, you know? And so just being in community with those people really, I mean, it changed our marriage. Like we're best friends. We were not always best friends. (laughs) Definitely changed my parenting because I so want to despair when I fail my kids every day. Like I just want to be like, cause we all want to be good moms. Right. Like (laughs) I want to be a good mom today, but I'm going to do something or say something or make a face that is not going to be perfect. And there's such freedom. It's like Romans 8, 15, Paul says, should we, does this mean we should go on sinning because grace abounds by no means? So it's not like we have permission to sin, but it's like, we're going to, so we have permission to rest (laughs) because of what Jesus did. So anyway, all that to say, Elizabeth changed my life. Love you, Elizabeth. (laughs) Talk about her all the time. That, that part of the book was so poignant to me because I have an Elizabeth in my life who was that pastor's wife for me. Mm. I love to talk about her. I don't think I've ever talked about her on the podcast. Her name is Angie. Mm. And so when I, um, when Nick and I were just a few years married, we, um, had a handful of kids already and we moved out to the Northwest. We moved out to Seattle area specifically. Mm. And honestly, where I had come from, I'd come from the South and specifically an, a city that was, I don't know, a little, I guess, a little more free spiritually now, I realize. Mm-hmm. And there were not a lot of expectations on what motherhood and wifedom looked like. <laughs> and I knew moms who worked and yeah. I knew moms who didn't work. And so we moved to this culture that was heavily, heavily centered around wives staying at home and <laughs> being the Pacific Northwest, something that was wildly jarring for me was how natural it was. I was like raised on Diet Coke and dyed my hair every four weeks. And that's what I had done my whole life. Right. Self-tanner, all yeah. the things, you know, cause we didn't know better. Like yeah. that's what everybody was doing. <laughs> oh no, was Nobody was using, that? I used that yesterday. <laughs> no, I didn't know what an essential oil was yeah. when I moved out to Seattle yeah. and eating organic even sounded yeah. like silly to me, yeah. you know? 
but everyone, all the moms, mm-hmm. were so healthy and so <laughs> like. I didn't know, um, I did, I know a few moms who didn't homeschool, but most of them, it was just hmm. a given that they would homeschool and that yeah. they would definitely not work. And for women, that's right for it, so right for them. But yeah. I like, I was like jarred of yeah. just like, oh, I, this is not how I saw my life going. Right. And specifically, obviously, all the pastor's wives just seemed so tidy and they like, you know, they had just read... Um, systematic theology by Grudem like back and forth over and over again and we'd have like guest lectures of like really good theologians come in and I would fall asleep (laughs) I liked reality tv and diet coke and I was like what's wrong with me and so I happened to meet um the pastor's wife at the church we were going to and her name is Angie and I'm gonna send this episode to her because I think I've told her but I could tell her a million times over and Angie had just bright blonde hair that looked totally natural, but I'm assuming maybe got help because we all need help to be that bright one. Right. Phenomenal looking hair. And she didn't wear like only natural fibers. You know, she like dressed spicy and she definitely put her kids in school and she gave her kid McDonald's all the time, which I think she might've been the only person in Seattle who went to McDonald's. (laughs) And I remember looking at her life and thinking, if God wants me to do this, if he wants me to do a life of ministry, if Angie can do it, I can do Mm -hmm. it. Like if she's this free and and we just had a a couple moments like that where she would just grab the fear out of the room and like place the gospel there. So I I love that moment with Elizabeth. But so I'm curious, do you feel the call to like shepherd the community around you to be more gospel centered? Yeah. Is that still a felt need in community? And what does that look like for you? Yeah. Good question. I think it's definitely still a need. I think I feel like it's a need because I still need it every day. (laughs) Like, I feel like even people who have had the Angie, Angie, right? Or the Elizabeth, like, I forget by lunchtime. Seriously. (laughs) And the more people I've talked to since putting out the book, the more, and this is my favorite thing, I need to send these to you, Elizabeth. I don't know if you're listening, but, like, when people tell me that reading Elizabeth's words that I wrote down in a book was an earthquake for them, too, you know? yeah. I think it's also generational. I think a lot of us were raised in churches that taught the gospel, but maybe, I don't know, I feel like there's kind of been a movement of this whole there has. gospel 100%. thing. Because it was new to me. Yeah. And, you know, I would, I would say the people in my life did a great job of pointing me to it, but Elizabeth just helped me. Maybe it was like the moment I met her. Mm. She made it accessible to me, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a need. I think people still live like they can earn their salvation. Yeah. And I think I still sometimes do too, you know? Sure. So I don't know. I guess, yes, I'm not a coach like you. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I want to help people. I, man, yeah, I think I, it's a yeah, I think so much of it, it's just like that living authentically. But I do think yeah. you're right in that I think a lot of us in our 30s were exposed to this grace revolution, this like yeah. reintroduction of the word gospel mm-hmm. and like an unpacking of what it meant right. outside just, you know, four books in the Bible, which is part of why I wrote Dan Stan Run, because I was like, did have we forgotten about holiness? Like, I and know. Which is what that book yeah. is about. Like, did, did do we remember that they go hand in hand? We swing have. back and forth. <laughs> yes. And that's really interesting. Mm. But no, I, I don't think it takes like coaching. I think sometimes it's just like, it's just the showing up, right? Yeah. And sharing your story. Um, I was talking to a girl at church today. I, I think so much of what I end up telling women at church in our church 
is when when they're apologizing for things I'm like that's not a sin yeah you don't need to say sorry yeah. like hey I'm sorry I didn't read that chapter for book club and I'm yeah. like you're good <laughs> we're good yeah. like that's okay yeah that's that's good that's beautiful mm. okay I have another quote to read from the book that I want to talk about okay what you do so beautifully in the book is again you pull out your fears mm-hmm. in a really honest way which is really life-giving to me. Nothing to me feels better than, than like really saying what I'm afraid of. And what I find is so many times when we just say it out loud, it like dissipates in the thin air. It loses its power. Yeah, it loses its power. When you just say it out loud, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm really scared of is losing our house. Right. Then all of a sudden you're like, so what would you do? Well, I guess we'd move in with our parents. Yeah. Does that sound hard? Sure. Right. But like, would we die? No. Right. Okay. Jamie Ivy told me that. I forgot yeah. I told her that. Like, play out your fear just to the end, the way out. and then just is God still the there? Yeah. Yeah, I had never heard that before her. I love that. Well, you say, we've got to fight against believing lies we are told by holding the truth of God's word up to everything in our minds and everything in front of us all day, and every day, and all the time, which I could not agree more with. And so that's what I think is really helpful. When you can say it all the way out, and then you can say, what? okay, what's true about God? Right. If that happens. Mm-hmm. So... I wanted to tell you my three things that helped me in this season, my three true things, but I was curious, do you have any current fears that you're having to walk all the way out and what's true about God hmm. at the end of them? Wow. I do I do have current fears. One of them is this new life thing I'm in right now, like doing stuff like this. Yeah. This is not so scary for me anymore. It was January when my book first came out because like... You don't know what this is like until you're doing it. Yeah. And I love editing myself on my computer when I'm typing. <laughs> so when you can't Real. edit yourself. Real. For example, I can already think of like two things that I said with the, <laughs> this microphone. Like, did I say that right? Did I? That's so stupid. You did. Right. Um, <laughs> I think my answer, I'm just going to give you a general answer because I can't think of a specific thing other than that. But so I did life with this family. I talk about them in the end of the book mm-hmm. and I would say they spoke in Bible verses mm-hmm. and just what they kind of taught me without saying it was and I learned this in Sunday school when I was little but like put God's word in your heart and it will pour out of you and be there to for you to fight you know you don't have to go and I mean it's good you should go searching for specific verses or attributes about God that combat the lies that the enemy wants us to believe like we're not loved or you know like this for example talking into a microphone like what if I say something about Jesus that someone misunderstands or I didn't you know like that is scary and weighty (laughs) I was doing these videos for the newer book like promo videos and they were just stories about they're so funny teenage life thank you they're hilarious Um, well those were easy like it's easy to tell a story yeah but then I recorded some videos that aren't, aren't out yet where I was like preaching not preaching but you know talking about the Bible, and they were so hard. <laughs> I was like, Chris, I'm really sorry. Not you, Chris, of this podcast. <laughs> the person I was working with with the video. I was like, I'm sorry. This is just, it feels so heavy, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that's my current fear. I need to make a list of verses to fight that fear. I don't yeah. have it off the top of my head, but I do make it a priority to saturate my life with scripture, not just reading it, but listening to it, being read to me, songs that are scripture set to music, you know, learning mm-hmm. it with my kids. I just, I've seen the benefit of that at 3 a.m. when I'm freaking out over 
XYZ and the Holy Spirit brings those words to mind. You know, my sister and I were talking the other day and both being people who do ministry and talk about God and she said out loud, like, how do we keep doing this? How do we keep doing this when we might say something wrong about God? Right. And I said, I think the best thing to do is, is to start with the assumption that we will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if, if the goal is to be mm. right, we're, we are really going to fail. Yeah. And so I think, right, mm. there's a weightiness and there's a humbleness. And, a, and like, if I'm going to talk about God, I, I really want to try my best to love people well. Yeah. And to love him by well by not saying untrue things. Yeah. But 100%, you know, I think yeah. we, have, we have to go in saying, like, well, we're human. Right. And, and we're going to say it wrong. Like, sometimes we're going to mean to say it wrong. Yeah. Not we're going to mean to say it wrong. Sometimes we're going to actually think something wrong. Yeah. And sometimes we're going to just say Deuteronomy when we meant to say Psalms. Right. And we're going to feel, feel embarrassed. Yeah. And the point is, like, right, well, he's the hero. Yeah. Yeah. He's the hero. It's not about us. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. Yeah. That's the truth to fight the lie. Yeah. And when we are living publicly humbly, like, so many of us on social media, all of yeah. us are li- not all of us, but most of us are living yeah. publicly. If we can show our humility by not acting like we know it all, because <laughs> yeah. we don't. Yeah, I just think the whole gospel awakening thing that Elizabeth helped me discover yeah. is for every part. I mean, that's the thing that I learned. It's like, it's for my fears. It's for my marriage. It's for when I talk into a microphone or talk to my eight-year-old. Yes. <laughs> you know, because talking to my eight-year-old is, is very weighty. Sure. Like motherhood is very weighty. hundred Like we're discipling these kids who see us all the time, yeah. you know, but if we can live what we believe and that is live out loud, communicating, no, I'm not perfect. That's true. Thank yeah. goodness for the cross, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You helped so, me. You helped me get my truth to fight that lie. <laughs> well, here I, after reading your book, I felt like I need to write some of mine down. So constant fear of losing somebody I love. Oh yeah. To death. Let me say that specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. To death or dying. I, I'm not scared to meet God, but I'm the idea of leaving my kids is terrifying. Right. Mm-hmm. And so my truth to fight that one is not necessarily a Bible verse but it is scriptural and just heaven is real. And so mm-hmm. I have to say that yeah. a million times a day. When yeah. I go to the pool and I'm terrified, mm-hmm. I have to say heaven is real. Heaven yeah. is real. Yeah. That's a belief that I'm going to have to put all my money on for the yeah. rest of my life. Yeah. And if I'm wrong, I guess I'm okay being wrong because I won't be anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sure going to help me. Yeah. And that's the third section of my book is my fears are not forever. Yes. And it's driving that home. Yes. Because there are those things. I mean, of course, that's mine too. That's all of ours. Right. Losing our people to yeah. death or us leaving our people. And yeah. we have to believe that Jesus is who he said he was because what else is there? I don't know. <laughs> Black <Yeah>. void. <laughs> terrifying. Right. <laughs> so much more life-giving to believe in heaven. I'll just yeah. say that. Like, even if we're all nuts, it just feels better to be nuts. <laughs> That's also what I tell myself. I have to believe that God is good. Yeah. I just have to. Yeah. Even when like physical evidence proves contrary. I have to know there's more happening behind the surface. And then I, my, my other one is that he loves my insert word, kid and church husband city more than me. Yeah. He loves my kid more than I do. He loves my husband more than I do. He loves my church more than I do. And he loves my city more than I do. Mm-hmm. And even to the point where, you know, even with, with the work we do, he loves my book more than I do. Mm-hmm. Like he loves the, he loves the parts that are going to bring him glory and the message more than I could. And so mm-hmm. even like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you to shepherd that message mm-hmm. in that ministry because 
I have to believe you want to give yourself glory. Right. And I have to believe even the parts that I might have messed up in there, that, mm. that you're that you're going to sort that out and that the Holy Spirit's a better communicator than I can be. Mm. And then another one for me is I have to believe that the approval of God is stronger than anyone else's approval or rejection. Yeah. <laughs> and that that... That, that means something in my life. So those are wow. mine. That's really powerful. I love that you broke it. Those are scriptural things that aren't verses because I think it's easy as a Christian to just like, which is good too, but they're both good. Like it's good to recite verses, but if you're not saying heaven is real, <laughs> like if you're not yeah. saying, okay, but really what does this mean? Yeah. Um, and just saying something that you memorized to hide it in your heart, so the, which is great too, but then it's easy to just recite it as a ritual and think, okay, is this going to fix me and make it about you? And speaking of books, this is what I loved about Wild and Free is that you were, like, I was convicted reading that book. I loved that you did not shy away from the truth. And I was so thankful that it wasn't just like a, you can be wild and free. It was like, this is what God's word says, you know, here's how to walk in it. I just love that you're saying practically, scripturally, the truth in a way that like clicks in your own mind. Yeah. Like, what do I believe? What does this mean? This isn't just a thing I do because good people seem to do it. That's in quotes, you know? And then here's a nice like gospel help for so many of you. Like a a church thing for me for so long was not being able to memorize scripture. I cannot memorize scripture. I'm telling you, (laughs) my kids know like two verses and they know more than I do. (laughs) I don't, I do. I am not able to memorize scripture Mm. or phone numbers or anything like that. But (laughs) There was such a, like, freedom that came to me when I realized, like, oh, I can know truths from Scripture without knowing whole verses. Yes. That's good. Yes. You know, I can know 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, Right. His power is made perfect in my weakness, but Lord have mercy, I can't remember what order the words go in. But who cares about the order of the words (laughs) if you get the truth behind it, which is what you're doing. Right. Which is so beautiful, and that's what we need to do. Maybe somebody need to hear that. If you can't memorize verses, you're okay. (laughs) Okay. I've got another quote from the book. Oh, this one got me good. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Even in our happy moments, there is an underlying sadness because we know that we and our people are temporary. We are falling apart. Our sweetest moments together with family or friends can't help but carry the not so secret burden that one day we won't all be together. Even the best moments in life are laced with the reality of death. This is unavoidable, but we don't have to fear it. Hmm. And I just want to say thanks for saying that out loud. And I also want to say that recently I've started to allow myself to get very angry at the enemy Hmm. because I've realized that so many of my happy moments are robbed. Yeah. And you talk so much about your childhood in this book, which I love because I was the most complicated kid you have ever met in your whole life. And so we would have been bunnies. Yeah, we for sure would have been bunnies. <laughs> I have not actually written a ton about my childhood. And it's at some point it's going to have to come out. It's so weird. Hmm. I did so many weird things. I've said some things. I think in Walden Free, I talk about how I lied about meeting the president. No, that might no. have been a dance stand run. That happened. That. But <laughs> the president of what? The United States. I howled. <laughs> I was in fifth grade, and I can. I, I thought people would would buy that. They did. They did. I I <laughs> crafted such an elaborate lie about how the president That's came amazing. to my school. The thing is, there was a possibility he was going to come to my school as President Clinton, Uh and I, it was pre all his drama, Mm -hmm. you know, Yeah. and 
I concocted such an elaborate lie about meeting him, what the Secret Service agents were wearing, what I asked him about, the O.J. Simpson trial, is what I told my parents I asked him about, <laughs> okay. that everyone believed me. And not only did my entire family believe me, but they told everyone we knew. Wait, but you, you told them that you met the president or that you were the president? Oh, no, that I met that the you president. Met, okay. I thought that you met said that you were the president. No, that I, I met like, the president. Wow. Tell me. No, that I met Bill Clinton. Okay. I said he came to my school and I interviewed him. I said it wasn't on the news and they couldn't tell the parents about it because it was like a national security thing. I believe you. This is a good lie. Yeah, I I told them what the Secret Service agents were wearing. I told them what I asked him. I told them, like, how it felt to shake his hand. I told everyone about it. Wow. My family told everyone about it, told all our extended family. Wow. My great aunt Edith and my grandmother got in a fight over it because my great aunt Edith called my grandma and my nana and said, you guys are all nuts. She definitely didn't need the president. Like, watch the news. The president wasn't even in our city. Like, you're all crazy. And my nana was like, she said she met the president. She met the president. It's amazing. Until about a week later, my mom came to the school and walked up to the teacher and was like, I still can't believe about the president. And the teacher was like, I know, we were so bummed he didn't get to come. And all my (laughs) lies came crashing down. And for years, whenever Bill Clinton was on the TV, I would, like, run out of the room crying because I was so embarrassed. That was a long story, but I had a really complicated childhood as well. (laughs) But the other day, I was thinking about this thing I'm noticing in my happy moments. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking how when I, I remember being in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and I remember the second I would enter into a happy moment, mm-hmm. I would start counting down yeah. to when it was going to end. Yep. And I don't want to do that anymore. I know. I'm like, I'm 34. Yeah. I'm ready to move on. I know. It's really hard. That's yeah. the, I struggle the most when things are good. Like when things are the bad. The most. For sure. When things are bad, I have so many sweet things I can look back on. Same. Of Jesus being with me. When things are awesome. I am terrified. Terrified. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to some degree, I want to tell you what I tell people now, and I feel insecure saying this out loud, but we're not going to listen to fear today. (laughs) To some degree right now, I feel like I'm living the dream. Mm -hmm. I'll say this. I've probably said this on the podcast before. I kind of think we're all living the dream. Yeah. I mean, we have food. Yeah. (laughs) And houses, and a lot of us have cars. Yeah. And money to buy coffee some days. Mm -hmm. But I wake up and I'm like, the hot guy from youth group married me. He still hasn't broken up with me. Yeah. And Mm. we have a roof. Yeah. And we get to do ministry and we get to read the Bible and coffee is a thing. Mm. Coffee's a thing. Most days I'm like, do we even know what we have in coffee? Man. (laughs) (laughs) That needs to be a quote. Do we appreciate? And so... Hmm. In some ways, some days I'm like, girl, you are living the dream. Man, stop being so scared. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that. Thanks for saying that out loud. You know, I'm still, I still fight that for sure. But speaking the truth to my own self, getting people to speak it back to me. I've told you a little bit privately that, and that it's going to be the book that this time last year we were in. Oh, we were in a, like, a life breakdown, which people who have listened to the podcast, if you've listened to the extended episode I've done with Nick, my husband, we say a lot of that. We say, like, we are barely holding it together, but we're doing a lot better now. So it's about a year out, and about a year ago, someone said to me, hey, if you're in a happy moment, you need to take 15 seconds to try and capture the memory. Like, mm-hmm. you need to just be still for about 15 seconds. And I found that that helps me, and that that quietness, again, helps me listen to the fear. Like, okay, what am I really scared of? And 
thank God for Christian counselors. My counselor will also say, hey, if you're having a beach day with your kids mm -hmm. and all of a sudden terror rises up in you and you're having chest pains and you're thinking someone's yeah. going to drown, this is bad, or mm -hmm. what if the next time we come to the beach one of them isn't here? Or if, right. when, you, when you start going down that terror path, she said, I want you to think about like what you love so much that's made you so fearful. Mm -hmm. So if it's your kids or if it's your husband, and then she's like, go do something that agrees with that mm -hmm. love. Like get go up and there. go give your husband a kiss. Yeah. Like get up and go give your kids a hug. But so much of that fear is fruited in love. And so much, yeah. especially in the happy moments. Right. And so if we can be, if we can stop and shake our heads and say like, whoa, where did that come from? Yeah. What do I know about God? And also like, I'm scared because I'm happy. Right. Yeah. That'll help. Yeah, I think seeing eternity in those moments, for me, it, like, that's the thing I've found the last few years is, like, those things that we fear losing, like, love is eternal, you know? That's right. And I have to believe that. Yeah. That a an undertow cannot, you know? Right. Love is eternal. And like you said, heaven is real. Like, I have to believe that and I have to remind myself that yeah. I believe that, you know? Yeah. Because that hymn, and I quote it in the book and I say it all the time, the things of this world will grow strangely dim. They really, really do. And that is like my go-to way I fight is, can I really think about eternity practically in my life? Like where have the times I have experienced God, mm. just me and him, the times the Holy Spirit has spoken to me in those ways that are like, you had to be there. It happened. I promise you, you know, if yes. I can reflect on those times and then look at my kids, you know, doing something mm -hmm. magical, yes. <laughs> then I can, I can enjoy those moments, but it's hard. It's so hard. I also, 10 second backstory, something I, I try to do a lot that I'm apparently not good at is I try to make up hashtags. Like, mm -hmm. I always think, like, oh, that would be such a good hashtag. <laughs> and they never work. But one that I tried that I, some of them have worked. One that I tried to start a couple of years ago. I'm looking at it now, and there's, like, one post. On it. I think it was, no, no, somebody else posted on it, too, is the hashtag heaven is better than. Mm -hmm. And so in some of those really happy moments, I try to capture and say, like, oh, heaven is better than this. Wow, that's good. Heaven is even better than this. That's, that's a great crazy. Hashtag. And that reminds me, hmm. we can use, you, can, you guys can start using that. It has less than yeah. <laughs> posts. Oh, man. But it helped me like say like number one, God loves me so much to have given me this moment, mm -hmm. this happy, fleeting moment. Mm -hmm. Heaven is here somehow. Yeah. There's some eternal goodness and glory here, but also. Mm -hmm. Like heaven is better than this and worshiping God for eternity is even better than this like wildly beautiful moment that yeah. I'm in. And that's helped too. Yeah. I heard um, Matt Chandler call, I forgot what he was even talking about, but he was talking about this ghosty. I love to use that word, like a ghosty view of heaven. Yeah. And I thought, yes, that was my problem for so long is that I thought worshiping around the throne, like what does that mean? Why is that good? Because <laughs> right. you know, if you, if you can't touch back to those moments that you've had that were just like, oh wow, God, you're here. You just spoke to me. Yeah. If you haven't had those moments yet or you can't reflect back on those moments, then it does just feel like, a, okay, how is that better than my daughter, you know? Right. But when you have had those moments, and that's the other thing I'm learning right now, Jess, is to chase those moments now and not just yeah. rely on the memory of the ones from a year ago, right. you know? Right. Because I think God loves to give us those moments. Yeah. And sometimes he feels far away because we are messed up people, but those moments are the best moments. They are so good. Okay, last quote I want to read from the book. Okay. Um, God is in the business of bringing dead things to life and creating new life where nothing could grow. Can you see it in your life? 
Can you look at your greatest pain points and see God's hand in it? I can. Not in everything, but in more things each day. And I'm just wondering if anything since writing the book, if you like you you share so honestly and vulnerably about places where you see new life. Is there anything since you finished writing yet? I find this is the question people always want to ask authors, like, what has happened since? But has there been mm-hmm. anything that like you're like, this is new, this is fresh, I'm seeing God here, I'm seeing new life mm-hmm. in this place that you still look dead? Man. So I wrote I write about the adoption a little bit. Well, in a whole chapter. I write about it a lot. I haven't read it in a while, so (laughs) I don't want to repeat myself. But we adopted our daughter two years ago. And I think mostly what I write about was like my fear of adoption. My husband wanted to adopt. And so it was really cool um, having God lead me into something that I was so afraid of that I didn't want to do because it seemed uncomfortable. And Mm. why would I want to walk into the unknown in such a scary way and everything? But the last two years or since writing the book the last year it's hard to share about it because there's a lot of things that are hers you know it's adoption stuff is hard to talk about yeah it is such a joy and I love posting these miraculous stats about her because joy snapshot couldn't walk wasn't potty trained deaf no ears um and now is like thriving healthy sign language master she's amazing but one of the biggest gifts has just been it's really humbling like to walk into an adoption because you see your own ugliness and selfishness and fear so often yeah it's just been it's been really cool to watch joy emotionally start to thrive and to just see my own it's just hard it's like I don't know if I'm being articulate right now but going into the adoption I remember the training videos and I remember the friends who would say attachment is hard you know it's not going to be like a love fixes this and then you're a happy family like it's hard yeah. <laughs> like adopting a child from trauma and it's just it really has exposed weakness that I thought I had conquered when I wrote that book you know like yeah. I thought oh I don't live in fear anymore so I'm good I'm and I I do try to I do try to walk humbly. <laughs> I do try to know, like, I haven't got it all together. But the adoption is a fresh thing most days because it's really hard and beautiful. I'm trying to think of an example. An example is, like, I won't go into detail, but there are discipline things. All my kids are different. We deal with different discipline things for each kid. Joys are kind of new to me because yeah. they all make sense with what she went through. But they're just, I did not discipline. I did not deal with the same issues with my other kids. So one hard thing has been like being hurt by her being mad at me when she gets in trouble because I'm the bad guy and you know, I want her to understand. But we have these sweet moments, it just happened a few days ago where we had this moment and she was mad at me and she was signing mad things. (laughs) (laughs) Sign language fighting is very interesting, by the way. I would imagine. Um, Yeah. But is it like kind of so cute that you're not mad? No. We had a few minutes and I'm trying to like filter like what I'm going to share, but basically (laughs) I was having like, it's probably wasn't a good mom thing to do, but I was like, don't you love mommy? And she's like, "Mm, no, (laughs) she's like, I love the dog and I love daddy. I love you so much, Joy, if you ever listen to this. (laughs) And then I just kind of walked out sad. And here was the sweetest thing. She came around the corner and she looked at me and then she started crying and she signed, you made me sad. And I signed, you made me sad. And then we both started crying and hugged. 
And it's like, did that fix the whole hard stuff we go through like that? No, but it was like, we are two weak, broken people. Yeah. (laughs) I so want to be the girl who wrote the book on fear, who helps other people overcome it, who's got it all together. Yeah. But Joy reminds me that I am weak as ever every day. Yeah. And broken and who knows how broken I'll be in a week but Jesus is real and he's with us and we are two people who can cling to him yeah man it's like you know I think whether or not you have adopted kids parenting does that to you you know yeah (laughs) those moments that are so hard and you're like did I do the right thing did I say something stupid what am I supposed to do with this well I'm just currently planning to go home and say to to one of my kids you made me sad (laughs) But yeah, sign it. I want to say you make me sad. I'm so glad you're not the girl who wrote the book on fear and conquered it and doesn't struggle <laughs> with it anymore because that girl isn't real. Yeah. And amen. <laughs> if his power is made perfect in our weakness, mm-hmm. we need the women in the midst of weakness to say real things. And mm. you know, that ideal picture of this super strong woman who can just conquer the world and kick butt and take names mm-hmm. and like punch fear in the face. I hate when people say that. Like, what in the world? I'm gonna punch you in the face. I don't know what that means. Punch fear in the face. But I'm so glad you're not her. Um, because she she doesn't exist. And I think a lot of those women who are like, just just take cut that out, Chris. That's the name of my next book. I I say. Cannot stand that women who say the thing. I can't stand those women. Those women who just say like. You know, barrel forward, conquer your fears, like mm-hmm. take no prisoners. Yeah. I, I think they go home and are panicked yeah. because it doesn't work for them. Yeah. And then they're like, crap, I'm scared. And then they have to hide it and then they crumble. And then they, it's just yes. a mess. Yeah. So I'm so glad that's you are. Okay. I have one last question and then I'll finally let you go. Okay. Let's call out some fruit. So you just said like you, you want to like walk humbly, which I think you absolutely have. But I think it helps for us to say like, right. As we're saying, God is who he has. He's. God is who he says he is in the midst of our fear. Mm-hmm. I find it so helpful to remind myself that he is who he says he is in our mission. Mm-hmm. And so one thing I've actually never asked another author, but that I like to think about myself is mm-hmm. what is this particular mission, this book, mm-hmm. this ministry purchasing? Let's even talk about your daughter specifically for them. Mm-hmm. Because for, for example, for me, Wild and Free was this idea and like being who, being who God made you to be, like resting in Christ's identity. While I still really struggle with that message, mm-hmm. really struggle with that message today in mm-hmm. my journal. When I started my quiet time, I was like, God, I'm sorry. I haven't wanted you to be wild. I want you to be wild. Hmm. I want you to be wild. But for example, I think my daughter might be the most confident human I've ever met. <laughs> and there's, there's, I believe there's something purchased there, hmm. you know, like yeah, the obedience to move forward while I might still wrestle with it. That was my greatest hope. I actually said this last week in an interview with Hannah Brancher. I said, like, I like to ask others too, like, what was the dreamiest thing that you hoped God might do? Hmm. And so, um, I don't know. I just think, what do you think might've been purchased by your obedience to, to like write this and say honest things? Hmm. Not just for the generations, because I do believe it has absolutely aided me and it will aid Hmm. thousands and thousands of women. I hope and pray for generations to come, but maybe for your daughters too. Hmm. Wow. 
Now I'm going to cry. Man, seriously. <laughs> Let's just cry. Um, so I have one, like your glory, so confident. I have one who major struggles with anxiety. And I'll tell you what a friend told me because it was so encouraging. A few years ago, my one who struggles with anxiety was really struggling. And you would think that me, the expert anxious person, <laughs> would just have nothing but patience and understanding, right? But life is hard, motherhood's hard. Anyway, I was kind of one frustrated because anxiety is hard for the people around the anxious person. It's hard because the person who's not anxious in the moment is like, but everything's fine. Like, yeah. it's okay. But also, I was very oh, mad at myself because I thought, I gave her this. Like, talk about handing things down to the generations. I handed this disease of <laughs> sometimes physical, sometimes circumstantial, sometimes spiritual. Like, sometimes I'm just not trusting the Lord. Yeah. And that's where my anxiety is coming from. And yeah. is the way I live passing this thing down to my kid that I love. And so I was so mad at myself. And I was telling my friend how I was so frustrated. Like, ugh, I want to be... A, like, and this was after my gospel thing. But, like, I just want... I want my kids to see the gospel yeah. in me. Like, I want to be peaceful and joyful. Like, my yeah. grandma said, she was praying the other day, and she said, she prayed, God, give us joy and peace, because that's our testimony. And I was like, whoa. Listening to 85-year-olds pray is, like, Come awesome. On. Like, right. that's true. Like, yeah. she sees the mailman every couple days, and she's praying, God, give me joy and peace for the mailman. Right. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, so I was mad at myself, and I told my friend, and she was like, Scarlett, how kind of the Lord that you are her mom. Yeah. <laughs> because you are not going, maybe you'll fail and brush it off sometimes, but sure. you get it and you can help her. You can be in it with her and say, I have this too. Here's how I fight it. Here are ways I've fought it in the past. Right. You know, I mean, I told that daughter about brain medicine. I've been on brain medicine before when I needed it. And it was physical reason. And that's kind of controversial, I guess. But I write in the book about all the different. Yes. Yeah. I took it from Tim Keller. I give him credit. But he's talking about all these different sources of anxiety. Yeah. If you try to treat a physical anxiety by praying a lot, you might also need a pill for your thyroid, you know? Right. Vice versa. If you take a pill, but it's just a, I'm not trusting God. I'm not in his word. A pill's not going to help. Right. Um, but my friend reminding me like, be broken with your kid and be like, hey, I've been where you are. Let me help you. And that really shifted things. And so, you know, yes, I wrote it in the book, but it's been really sweet to get to live it out with my daughter who struggles and be yeah. like, I get it. And I'm, I don't I, I don't always do that, but I try to, you know, I, I don't want to be like... It's so parenting is so hard because you want, you don't want, you want them to respect you. Yeah. You can't be like, Hey buddy. Um, you know, no. <laughs> well, yes, that too. I but know, I am currently living my like the nightmares <laughs> of saying the things your mom said. I don't even think my mom said this to me. I just, it's like such a mom thing. But this morning I said to my daughter, like, I am not your friend. I am your mother. And I was exactly. like, really? Are we there? But that's that important. But that's yes, true. And important. It matters. Yes. But also in these hard struggles that yeah probably physically and by watching me she has picked up on you know who knows but I don't have to beat myself up over that I can just get in it with her and be like okay right. here's how we're gonna fight this and back to the whole thing like back to the start of the podcast like <laughs> maybe the point isn't to be this superhuman woman who's free from fear like hmm. maybe what you purchase for her is the ability to be okay hmm. with fear and to fight it yeah because we all have it. Yeah. You know? I think we all Which have it. Which is so powerful. I think we do too. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you times one million. I love you. I love you. <laughs> it's fine. We're just going to move in yeah. together. It's great. <laughs> Big families. All right. Hey, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me.